0: Hello and welcome to the How to CEO podcast. I'm your host, Murray Newlands. When you became a CEO, the world changed. You can either build a billion dollar company or you can crash and burn. Building a billion dollar company is really hard. In this show, we're looking at how to build a company with exponential growth. I'm delighted to have James Wallace on the show. He's an entrepreneur, came from the digital marketing space. He's invested in some amazing companies. He's uh created a bank, he's invested in exchanges for liquidity, he's done amazing things. But today we're going to be looking at how you build a company with exponential growth and what CEOs need to know about that. James, welcome to the show. Uh, great to be here, Marie. Thanks. So I gave you a brief introduction to you. Tell us more about you.
1: Well, that was a pretty good introduction. Uh, the thing I would add to it is probably that not only as a CEO, uh, but also as a founder, as a serial tech entrepreneur. Outside the life of an executive, really, and, and outside of administration operations, really just built a lot of companies and, and learned a lot by a series of mistakes, probably hundreds of, of small mistakes that led to dozens of very big mistakes, but also led to a couple uh, pretty, pretty cool innovations and, and some things that people would, would probably uh, say were successes. So uh, my, my strength, I think, is in my ability to adapt my ability to, to kind of see the future before it hits and to build products and services in that market that doesn't exist yet. So over the years, uh, being a serial tech entrepreneur led me to more recently focusing on FinTech innovations and believing that the financial services have been some of the least adaptive uh, products and services, uh, some of the most unresponsible you know, markets, and that society, generally speaking, uh, desperately needs innovation uh, that leads to inclusion in the financial system, and also not only just access, but equity. And so we're focusing almost primarily on ecosystem investments in the, in the fintech space, and then our, our venture funds uh, focus on impact investing. So the non-technical investment thesis is that we invest in, in startups that alleviate suffering or expanding with potential. So that's about all of me right now. That's awesome. So let's
0: talk about exponential growth. When you're thinking about exponential growth as a founder and entrepreneur, how should you think about that? Where should you look for creating those opportunities? And then how do you build a company to do that?
1: Well, I mean, there's quite literally a, a book written called Exponential Organizations, a book written by Salim Ismail, and Salim was the founding executive director of Singularity University, which has not only um, sort of innovated and invented some exponential principles, but has done a lot to bring executives in their executive program and young founders into the founders programs to help them architect exponential enterprises. So um, that I would recommend, first of all, that book. I think that that book is is, is required reading for any entrepreneur. Uh, definitely ones that are are really interested in in, in scale, uh, scaling quickly, and and reserving uh, cash and and doing it safely and as quickly as possible. I think. One of the, the caveats or one of the cautions that I, I provide is that it's very easy to over-architect exponential enterprises and try to do everything all at the same time. I think that if you can get there, according to the book, there's there's 10 uh, sort of baskets of, of potentially exponential principles that can be used and mobilized. There are things that, such as algorithms. So... Uh, creating intelligence and speed and low cost through custom algorithms. There's staff on demand, uh, and and anyways, there's there's ten of them. I think I think looking at how what makes sense in terms of sort of the culture of, of the the startup. If you're a non-tech company, algorithms probably not not where you want to where you want to focus on. Uh, Another one of the exponential buckets principles is dashboards. So, really having uh, key business intelligence uh, around you at all times. If you're a creative shop, maybe not dashboards that are just business intelligence wouldn't and uh, uh, really promote the culture that you want. So I think uh, finding exponential principles that fit with the culture and not trying to do all of them at the same time, focusing on the one or two out of 10 that really uh, uh, speak to the company culture and probably enhance the product and service into the market. So that, that you know, my suggestion is, is to find the ones that complement the, the startup and help accelerate the product into the market.
0: And talk about some of the companies that you work with that have achieved exponential growth and explain how they've done that and why they've done that and why you're seeing that success.
1: Well, I think, I mean, my co-founder actually took a, a four-figure investment and in four years uh, built a company with a nine-figure valuation. So said another way, he took $5,000 and invested it in a, in a company that was valued at $100 million and, and subsequently sold. At at fair market value, and so you know, in his case, what he saw, uh, he entered into a market that was old and stale. uh, I'd say siloed and corrupted, and figured out a way to do it uh, lightly and nimbly. You know, lean and agile, though those principles that are synonymous with the startup world. I think that when you can find markets that that have sort of establishment thinking, status quo, sort of day-to-day business. And you can, um, before you spend all your parents' money and your friends' money on speculating on a business, but instead can do some market study and market intelligence and actually find an opportunity to, to, and I'm not a big fan of this word, it's it's overused in the startup world, but to disrupt something. There is something to be said for finding markets that are extracting value from their participants rather than adding value. And again, to go back to one of the examples, can we create an algorithm that can really, you know, remove value extractors, gatekeepers, intermediaries, and help the the people that are trading? Um, And sometimes it's trading, you're buying you know, music somewhere, that's that's a trade between the creator of the music, the artist, and me as the consumer. So if you can figure out a way to disintermediate remove uh, people that have been intermediating, Some in some cases for decades, in some okay. cases for centuries, Right. Uh, and figure out a way to do that to enhance. I think that here's the key. How can I remove all this intermediation, drop the cost of that from 100%, which is what it is, to say 20%, and help the actual people that matter, the value uh, creator and the person uh, acquiring that value, so and again, the artist and the consumer, and help bring them closer together and help that sort of exchange occur quicker, faster, better, and more often. Uh, that'd be my recommendation.
0: But in some senses, that's how to find the problem to solve. Once you found the problem to solve, what, what are the characteristics or the processes for the founder in order to successfully implement that? What do you see in those successful founders that you've had?
1: Well, we have, so because we operate a venture fund, we actually have very uh, defined criteria. So we have about 13 bits of criteria for the founder about 24 bits of criteria for the for the startup. Uh, we actually have also a four point investment thesis, with which, which uh, helps filter out the opportunities. But if, if someone gets to us through the investment thesis, so they qualify, uh, right. we can fairly quickly, often uh, quantitatively, by looking at, at social media, looking at past history, get an idea of whether they have the, the the traits and characteristics required, in our opinion, to be successful more often than not. Which. As we know, in in the startup world, 10% is considered by venture capitalists to be a good return or a good success rate, which we, we think is absolutely absurd, to be honest. We think with proper care and consideration... Uh uh, from the capital participant, meaning us with the founders and sort of not really coaching, but uh just in time problem solving and connecting, we think that that we can have a 70 to 90% success rate. But back to your question or or the the answer to that question. There is a a bunch of criteria, great determination, being a learner, et cetera, et cetera. But I can distill it down into one single attribute, and that's adaptability. And I actually think not only in found with founders, but almost every single person. In the organization, save maybe, and I say maybe, legal and accounting, because I still think uh, legal and accounting, um, having a sense of or desire to be adaptable, to find a new way to do something cheaper, faster, better. I think everyone can benefit from that attitude, but obviously at the top end, in terms of leadership, uh, especially with the chief executive, but definitely in sales and marketing and, and with innovation, adaptability. So being able to take in new information and have the courage and, and the desire, really, to, to take in that new information and change paths. And again, as the startup world calls it, pivot. So we're able to change paths. uh, Very tightly knit to this, and I think it's really important to to state, it's really abandoning the need to be right on how you're going to get to where you're going to go. So we think it's really important for for startups to to um, like you said find a problem to solve probably pick an enemy of sorts probably an abstract enemy like we uh, I prefer something like a disease in the healthcare industry than yep. comp- competitor A for example I think that's a much uh, a much more heroic uh, pursuit but I think what's really important is that the, to have sort of the awareness the um, the humility to say we're going to get here this is the intention but we don't know how we're going to get here and so that adaptability. And it could be curing some sort of disease, or even just having uh, the ability to address the disease in a better way, which might be remarkable compared to to today. Having the 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 humility uh, to 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 allow yourself to pivot, pivot, pivot through all the potential hows to get to there. I think you're about ten to twenty times more likely to get there if you abandon the need to be right on how you're going to get there.
0: Because experience shows with startups, that you are going to have to make those changes. You are going to have to make those pivots. And so if you're not, if you're not prepared to do that, then you're going to get stuck on the wrong path without discovering the right path is all
1: that right. That's correct. Absolutely. And, and I have I've found, uh, and I, I can usually tell within the first few minutes, really, uh, if the person is going to be advisable. And so advisability is, is, or adaptability, pardon me, is the ability to be advised and then take action. So I'd say taking action without advice is not recommended. And the, the reverse is true as well. You need to have both. You need to be constantly asking questions. Again, that humility, looking to to people that you know, like, and trust that are you know experts in certain areas, getting that information. The market, of course, uh, prospects, clients, etc. taking in that information. And then having the sensational need to, to validate and verify, to execute, to build, to deploy, to move. Uh, these two things together, I think, uh, um, are basically the definition of, of adaptability, but you're absolutely right. And how
0: do you, how as a founder then, if you're going on this adaptable path, how do you know when you're starting to be successful? And what do you look at as a, as a fund when you see something getting, starting to get momentum? What are those signals that you're looking for?
1: Well, I think it, I think it varies based on the, the space. Uh, the vertical, uh, depending on whether it's, you know, classic stuff like the size of the space, the, uh, the customer life cycle, what, you know, some, some life cycles like social mobile apps are uh, three days and others, uh, in biotech are 30 years or 13 mm-hmm. years. And so I think I think, I think think it'd be very, very different, but what we would look for, and, I, and this is another key, key, key point, you know, we, we, for those that have been building for a long period of time, you know, come to realize that the one metric that matters and knowing exactly what that is in your business. So I would say, depending on the business and depending on the market, maybe even depending on the market conditions, yeah, the, the founder and the CEO together, mm-hmm. so the founding team and executive team yeah. should be very clear on, on, on that one metric that matters, and 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 I think the one metric that matters. There's three core metrics that really power that. And so when that one metric that matters goes up and down, uh, if it goes up significantly, you want to harness that, capture an opportunity, right. probably press on it further. If it goes down significantly, you want to do sort of calamity response, etc. So you're yeah. pressing in to look at the three things that that, that matter <laughs> truly. But but I, I don't think I can offer an exact answer that that is equal across all businesses, but. I think I think the, the the more important thing is between probably the capital participants so the early stakeholders yep. the founding team the executive team sitting right. down and actually defining that so I think the answer is I don't know and I don't think anyone else will know without right. sitting down and actually co-creating that and being very clear and having having the opportunity for for very different perspectives uh, like I said your capital partners the people inside the business maybe even advisory board or advisory team all talking about what it looks like what does success look like and that's a very good question what is it, what does it look like when it starts to happen because you definitely want to be able to respond to that and uh, do more of it to accelerate toward you know stability and definitive success
0: and share that with everyone in the in the team with the investors share that with everyone across we are succeeding and here's why we're succeeding um being able to share no if you don't know what it what success looks like you you can't share success and you need to be able to share success to to keep momentum. that's that's awesome advice who else do you
1: see doing great things in this space well uh I think in the exponential world, uh, Sleem Ismail, as I said, yeah. author of of uh, exponential organizations, he's also a board member of XPRIZE. Absolutely dedicated his life to to transforming the world. You know, migrating civilization to an e- epic of abundance and and uh, you know, disrupting all systems of control and power. And that really is uh, sort of uh, I think the battle cry of a lot of. Uh, Young founders and startups, uh, with regard to their mission, vision, and massive transformative purpose. In the in the financial world, um, Nick Cowan, who is the CEO of the GSX Group, the Global Stock Exchange yeah. uh, out of Europe, uh, is a fascinating man who has you know come up in the as I uh, describe it, the old silo corrupted capital markets, that is has dedicated to his himself and through that uh, everyone he knows essentially i think there's 80 of them at at the gsx to uh to constructing the new open democratized capital markets and we're heavily involved and heavily invested and, and very excited about what what he's doing i think that the last person i would say uh, david cohen at tech stars right from a sort of okay. uh, class a classical standpoint and i mean that with all due respect because i think they're on the cutting edge in terms of accelerators which are typically and fundamentally broken and i think other than wine combinator tech is probably the only one doing it well i think that their vision for cooperating with with local regions and setting up uh, not only accelerators but also funds that can capitalize these startups and just really trying to help figure out how to get more people into entrepreneurship, more people into startups. And I think more importantly, those people building cool stuff. You know, I know that David is not a fan of the next photo sharing app. He actually wants to see people fundamentally changing the world for good. And and I think that there's really no better way. We all know that, uh, well, one of the stats that's published by Peter Diamandis in the book Abundance is that in five years from now, 75 percent percent of the fortune 500 won't be there. Who will be there? Not necessarily startups, but they used to be startups and they were built in garages yeah. less than 10 years ago they their growth stage right now. They're in the, right the five to 50 million range and, and so I think I think that David really wants to see wants to nurture wants to find the smartest people building the coolest things and help give them the advice and the capital and prepare them for all the various stages on the way to to uh, to, to a strong market position but I think it's all I would say myself and Nick and Salim and David are all doing this for the exact same reason and that is to affect positive change in the world that's that's awesome James if people want to connect with you how do they do that Good question. They could email me at jw jw.exg.ai. At uh, if they wanted more information on what we're up to, uh, what the organization is up to, you can just go to that domain, exg.ai. Excellent. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks, Murray. Anytime. I'm
0: Murray Newlands. You've been listening to the How to CEO podcast. Please subscribe. And I look forward to chatting with you next time.